Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We'll take our next step tonight in Revelation. Roughly a year-long study, I remind you that as we progress through Revelation, especially from this point forward, you're going to see lots of symbolism, and we may struggle to understand it all. In fact, I'm not sure that God put His Word together that we're going to completely get to the bottom of that deep well in understanding, but we are supposed to keep digging. We're supposed to keep studying His great, great Word, but bear in mind Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says that we are going to be blessed, and it does not say when we understand the book. It says we will be blessed when we read the book. And so tonight, as we read this book together, chapter 5, we are simply going to be blessed because we are reading God's Word. Now, the beginning of chapter 4, let me back up here just a little bit. We've entered into the prophecy section of the book of the Revelation. With the beginning of chapter 4... Uh, The earthly church is never mentioned again. I believe that uh, it is because there is a point in human time when the church is raptured out of the earth. And I believe that when the salt of the earth is raptured out, when the light of the world is raptured away, at that time, that is when God is going to pour His unbridled wrath and judgment on sin and disobedience I believe that he will pull his own children out of that mess before the great tribulation does begin. And I want to tell you tonight that as we stand on the brink of studying the great tribulation, that is a time that we cannot even begin to imagine. There's nothing in human history, even the Holocaust of Germany uh, years ago, can't even begin to match what this world is going to go through in the great tribulation. But as we study chapter 4, John sees God on his throne. He is surrounded by 24 elders and four living creatures. And the picture that John paints for us in chapter 4 shows heaven's praise, pure, unbridled praise of God. All four creatures are shouting, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders descend off of their thrones and they are prostrate before the Lord and the glory of the Lord and they cast their crowns at His feet. This is a scene of awesome praise. You and I are going to be in this praise one of these days. And we are going to know that heaven is not about us. It's all about our God and what He's done that we might be a part of heaven. No matter what kind of church you might have attended over your life, no matter what kind of praise you may have given to God tonight or in the past, it is but a glimmer of the praise that we're going to offer to God one of these days in heaven. And we begin to see that as we're reading these chapters of Revelation. However, in the midst of the praise that we see in chapter 4, there are thunderings and rumblings and lightnings emanating from God's great throne. In other words, there is a storm of wrath that is brewing and is going to break forth very soon, very quickly. Chapters 4 and 5 describe the events that bring the great tribulation to the earth. Now listen closely because I'm going to be describing now what we're going to see with our own eyes one of these days. As we begin chapter 5, in the midst of the praise of heavens, John's eye 
is drawn to one object. And that object is a scroll. As we read chapter 5 together, this is going to unfold God's plan that leads to the great tribulation. So turn with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 5, and we are going to read the entirety of this chapter and study it entirely tonight. Uh, 14 verses. So hear the Word of God, and as we hear this Word of God, remember that we automatically are blessed because we're reading it right here, right now. Chapter 5. John says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. As it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth And such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I'm not sure that I could do justice to the reading of that word as we see the mighty praise of heaven surrounding the throne of God and His Son, the Lamb. As John beholds God on His mighty throne, he sees a scroll in God's right hand. It is rolled up. It is a length of writing material. You will notice that it is written on both sides. Whenever a person saw an official scroll in ancient times, they immediately thought of a legal contract. 
uh, a deed, a marriage contract, a rental agreement, a will. And of course, we know that as the scrolls of the Bible were produced, that's God's contract of love toward His people and His standing by those whom He has pardoned. But what is this scroll in God's hand in Revelation chapter 5? It is the title deed of the earth and all of God's creation therein. This is the official God-written document that will determine the end of history as we know it. I want you to notice that this scroll is sealed with seven seals. You remember that the number seven is a perfect number, so that means that it is perfectly and impenetrably sealed. Also in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 5, John sees a strong angel. Now, it is likely, maybe probable, that this angel is the angel Gabriel because Gabriel means the strength of God, a mighty angel, Gabriel being the strength of God. But the angel calls, who is worthy to open this scroll? Who is worthy to be able to break the seals which perfectly seal the scroll together? And no one in heaven steps forward. In fact, no resident of heaven even had the worthiness to be able to look upon it. Did you notice that? It was mentioned a couple times in Revelation 5 that no one could even behold the scroll. They didn't feel worthy to even look on the scroll. God is showing us here that we cannot redeem ourselves. I want you to think about the company of heaven when this scroll is revealed. Think about who is there when this scroll is revealed. Noah is there. Moses is there. Abraham, Elijah, David, Solomon, Peter, Paul. And no resident of heaven felt even worthy to look upon it, much less to touch it, to believe they could open it. As the Apostle John comes to this realization, what does he do? He weeps. He cries. Tears of grief. Not only for himself, but for the entire lost world. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah meets face to face with God, and he realizes how sinful a man he is and how sinful a people he comes from. And he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. When we come before the holiness of God, we are disturbed when we realize how sinful we are. And so John weeps because no one can open the scroll. And if no one is able to open the scroll, then that means that he lived in prison in Patmos in vain. If no one is able to open the scroll, then all of the preaching that he did through the Roman Empire was in vain. All those who died for the faith died in vain, including his own brother disciples. He was the oldest and the last of the living. Those 11 before him had already died, most a martyr's death. The preaching was a waste of time if no one could open the scroll. Because that was the document of salvation. If you remember, and if you'd like to write this down or even turn me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, this is how Paul summarizes those same feelings. 
1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain? And your faith is also vain. It's wasted. Paul says, if Christ isn't risen, then everything we do for the kingdom is in vain because there is no salvation. That's also the thought behind the inability to open the scroll. But one of the 24 elders says to John, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, can open this scroll. Now, of course, a lion is nature's symbol and nature's animal of power. And the root of David, as he's mentioned here by one of these elders, bears the image of a mighty warrior. Remember, David was a warrior. In fact, when it came time to build the temple, David came to realize that he could not build the worship space of God because he was a warrior, and God wouldn't choose a warrior to build a place of worship. So he would use his son Solomon to do that. So John begins to scan heaven. And when he's scanning heaven, what's he looking for? He's looking for a lion or he's looking for a soldier. And that's not what he finds. In the midst of this terrific heavenly scene, he sees a lamb. A lamb. Now the Greek word for lamb here is arneon. Arneon. And that word means a little baby lamb that families would actually adopt to keep in the home. That little Arneon lamb is the pet. A little fragile lamb. But notice that this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Seven, of course, you know, is the number of perfection. So a horn in Scripture is always symbolizing power. And we're going to be studying about horns very soon in the book of Daniel. But a horn in Scripture symbolizes power. So the lamb is perfectly powerful. Though it's a little lamb, this lamb has perfect power. And also then the seven eyes means that this lamb can see all. It perfectly knows all things. So... Also notice that this lamb in Revelation 5 bears the scars that it has been slain, that it has been killed, that it had been a sacrificial lamb. Remember that a sacrificial lamb in the nation of Israel had to be a perfect male lamb. It could not have spot or blemish. It could not be a second out of the flock. It had to be the perfect lamb from the flock in order to be the sacrificial lamb. This lamb was perfect but it had borne the scars of being slain and killed, and yet it was standing and it was living. This, of course, is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on center stage in the middle of heaven. The lamb had been killed, but the lamb is living. The cross, the empty tomb, the cross, the resurrection is shown in this little lamb. Now, again, I remind you that Jesus is the center of heaven here. And Jesus is the center of the book of the Revelation. That's why Revelation does not have an S on the end of it. It's not Revelations. 
It's one revelation. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the judge of the world. It is his unveiling, one revelation of Jesus. Now, in the Wednesdays that are to come, we're going to look at the prophecies and the facts and the figures in this study, but we never take our eyes off of Jesus. That's what Revelation is all about. Now, in verse 7, Jesus takes this scroll out of the right hand of God, and he is the only one in all of heaven, in all of earth, in all of creation who can take the scroll from God. There are two reasons why he can take the scroll. The first reason is in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. If you read that verse, it says that Jesus created the earth. He created all creation. He was the, was the That's the first reason he could take the scroll, because it was a deed of ownership, and he's the creator of it. The second reason he could take the scroll is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, which says that Jesus redeemed the earth. Not only did he create it, but he also redeemed it through the cross and through the resurrection. So he alone is worthy to look on and to handle the deed of ownership of our lives and of all the earth. Now, I want you to join with me in just imagining what this scene must have been like. It is tense. It is quiet in heaven as God Almighty holds the scroll and no one, even the saints and the patriarchs of the ages, no one steps forward to take the scroll from him. And Gabriel, perhaps, the mighty angel, calls out and says, who is worthy to open this scroll? And no one steps out. No one is able. No one is worthy. And then when the the lamb approaches the throne and God hands him that deed of ownership and redemption. According to Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, heaven is absolutely overwhelmed with praise. When that lamb steps forward and receives a scroll from the right hand of God the Father, heaven erupts in a praise these days I can't even, even begin to imagine. Now remember child of God, we're going to participate in scenes like this throughout eternity. When we are singing and praising our God, we remember that, that indeed we were destined for that moment, moment with Him uh, because He bought our salvation. Now the rest of chapter 5 is consumed with all of heaven praising Jesus because He alone is worthy of the praise. He alone paid the price of ownership of each one of our lives and the deed of creation. And the cost was high. It was the price of the cross that takes our sin away. That offers every human being forgiveness by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Now, quickly, let's look at a few aspects of the, of the praise of Jesus as John describes it here. Again, it's amazing me. This could only be the Word of God because in these few short verses, 14 verses in chapter 5, it's amazing what John packs in that we might begin to understand what heaven is like in these moments of praise. Chapter 5, consumed with all of uh, praise in heaven. But as we think about Jesus taking that scroll, the four creatures and the 24 elders fall before the Lamb. And each of them, you'll notice, has a harp. 
Now, a lot of people in the world think about when we get to heaven, we'll all have a harp. You know, some people say, well, all of us will sit cloud out and play a rusty harp for all of eternity. But that's not really what the harp is about, particularly in this play. It is a musical instrument, but throughout the Bible, harps are associated with prophecy and celebration. Always celebration. I looked up a lot of references today about harps in the Bible. Used in worship, used in praise, used to honor God. And then, too, you'll notice that the creatures and the elders have incense bowls, which signify the prayers of God's people rising to Him. Uh, there is a sister passage. I write this down, Psalm 141, verse 2, and it says this, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of hands as the evening sacrifice. But notice it says, let my prayer, Lord, come before you as incense. That's coming out of this bowl of incense. And also it says that they sing a, a new song, song of God's redemption. Now look at chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, as the elders and the creatures are singing around this little slain, living, perfect lamb, God, uh, John's attention expands to look over all of heaven as he sees this central picture of the worship that's going on at God's throne with the Lamb there. He looks over the expanse of heaven, and he writes that he is surrounded by angels. 10,000 times, 10,000 of angels, myriads upon myriads of angels, a, a number of angels that's beyond our human calculation. And the angels are saying in unison with a loud voice. Look at verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Can't you just can't you hear that, that say each one of those words that it's a building effect of, of the praise that the angels bring to God Almighty. This is just an awesome picture that we will never be able to fully grasp until we're there. Now... Let me say this, as far as the Bible's word is concerned, you know, at Christmas time we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Silson. There is never recorded in Scripture that an angel sings. It's always a chant or a shout, uh, but there's never singing. singing. Now, I will say this to you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that is never recorded in Scripture. I'm not saying that perhaps angels don't sing, because one saint... Shortly before he went home to heaven, evidently the Lord had uh, allowed him to have a brief little glimpse into heaven. And he said, Mike, I can assure you, angels do sing because I have heard. heard. That was an amazing moment. But as far as Scripture goes, there is no account of an angel singing in Scripture. They're shouting and they're chanting and they're giving praise to God Almighty. But... As we sing here on Sunday mornings, you know, don't, don't just trudge through the hymns. Uh, it's an honor to sing praise to God. It's an honor to hear as we sing what those words are saying about praising our almighty God. 
It is an, it's an amazing thing to be able to sing. In fact, maybe even the angels marvel when they hear our little bit of singing on Sundays and when we get together. So even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, try to sing. Uh, I even tolerate Jeffrey when he's singing. But all the angels will shout, worthy is the Lamb. And it is a scene of glory that we, I'm sure, cannot fully get our mind wrapped around uh, in this moment. But as we close chapter 5 tonight, let me show you the picture that we have seen develop. God hands the scroll of ownership and history and redemption and judgment of this earth to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And according to chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, all of the universe will acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as we know, Paul's words say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That doesn't mean that the universe will be saved. That is for a decision in Jesus Christ. But all one day will acknowledge Him as Savior. All will not be saved, but all will acknowledge Him as Savior. Even Satan himself will have to acknowledge him as Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer, but also we will find through the course of the revelation that he is also the unrelenting judge. Jesus perfectly balances love and judgment. You know, parents, you and I, as our children grow, we want to be able to balance love and discipline, love and direction and, and I'm sure if you're anywhere close to me, we are not perfect at that. But our Lord is perfect in love and in judgment. Sometimes I think the world gets a one-sided view of the Savior. Uh, especially the unsaved world wants to make God's love this mushy thing that everybody is going to be covered by God's love. And no matter who we are, what we've done, uh, how we have disrespected him, that's okay. He's like the heavenly grandparent. We'll be covered with mushy love and that marshmallow and all will be well. But that's not the picture of the Bible. That's not especially the picture of the Revelation. He is love, but he is also judgment. It shows us the true judge of the universe. For every human being, one day, there will be only two ways to look at Jesus. The first way, if he is our Savior, he is going to stand beside us at the throne and he's going to plead our forgiveness through his own blood. He is the one who pleads our forgiveness because he died on our behalf. And we will see him as eternal Savior and eternal Lord and eternal friend. But... For the unsaved, without Jesus as Savior, when they stand before God in judgment, He will deny them. Remember, He will say, I never knew you. He will deny them. It's not an act of cruelty on Jesus' part, but rather, after giving opportunity after opportunity to be saved, the Lord is simply honoring the decision that that person made. That person denied Him through life, and so in judgment, Jesus comes to that point of denial. So one of two ways we will see our Lord when we stand at that moment of judgment. No one will be able to blame him because it will be personal decisions. And sadly, if you don't see him as Savior, people will see him as judge. And that's the picture of the revelation. You will notice that it also says in chapter 5 that we will reign with him. In other words, we aren't just permitted to live in heaven but according to the Lord's deed, we're going to participate 
in heaven's uh, reigning. We're going to be a part of that because we are owners of heaven. That deed allows those who belong to the Lord to be co-heirs, inheritors of heaven. So we're, we're not just going to live there. We have ownership there because of the Savior. We look forward to the promise of heaven. But friends, right now, before we see that heavenly glory in these very few short years that we have, and, and now that I'm where I am in life, the years are very, very short. But in these very few short years that we have, we are reminded that we are surrounded by lost people. Isn't that sad? We are surrounded by the lost. Our mission field surrounds us no matter where you are. I'm thankful for those who, who go to foreign countries and, and a, a little mission team this week who's going to Guatemala. But, but friends, no matter where we are in the world, there are lost people around us. And that's true in your life and in my life. Uh, John chapter 4 Verse 35, Jesus said this, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The harvest fields surround us. We, we do look forward to heaven, and we do look forward to this praise. But in these days right now, these are our days of ministry. These are our days of opportunity. When we get to heaven, we won't have the opportunity to draw one more person to the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Isn't that right? Decisions will have been made there. This is our opportunity. However many days we have on this side of heaven, this is our opportunity to bring fruit to the kingdom of heaven through saved souls that we lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't save anybody ourselves, but we lead them to that Savior, to that personal knowledge of Him. These are our days of opportunity, and we are called, friends, to witness to the lost and to get busy as the church. Our prayer is that we will reach more and more in these days that we have so we are joined by them in this great praise that we see in heaven. Now, as we close chapter 5 and as we open chapter 6, the great tribulation is really getting on a roll here. So as we go through the next, uh, uh, through the next lesson and on through the end of the book, uh, we're going to see some mighty days that are going to happen on this earth that are facing uh, those who are going to be in the great tribulation. And we'll continue to study in these weeks ahead. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for this great group of students of your word, Father. And Lord, tonight as we gather in this place, we realize that one of these days we're going to see this unimaginable celebration and praise of heaven as 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels are chanting the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son, the Lamb, the one who gave himself that we might be saved. We will be part of that amazing celebration of praise and glory. But, Father, we look forward to that day, but also, Lord, we realize that today is the day of work. Today is the day of ministry. Today is the day of mission. Today is the day to be busy to draw the lost to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you will give each one of us who are here tonight in this time of study, you will give us a passion and a realization that every day is a day of opportunity. And when, that, when the sun sets on that day, and when our heads hit the pillow, that day is gone and will never be repeated again. 
So, Lord, I pray uh, with every passing day that my brothers and sisters and myself will do something of eternal value to reach someone for the kingdom of God, that all people might be able to share in the glory that we see happening in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. Bless us, Father. Thank you that every person can come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. As Revelation 5 said, of all nations, of all tongues, of all peoples, everyone can come to that Savior. doesn't matter who they are or where they're from or the depth of their sin. Thank you, Father, that Jesus' blood covers us all. We pray for our church to stand so people in other countries as well as people right here at our doorsteps will be making decisions for Jesus because of our ministry to them. Use us, we pray, Lord, and thank you for this day that is coming very soon for us as we see you face to face. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.